Well, good morning. I want to extend uh, a welcome to those who are here. If you're new, just joining us here this morning, a special welcome to you. Thanks for, for coming out and checking us out. Um, if you can and if you want to connect with us, please take a Connect card, fill it out, and you can give it uh, when you leave the sanctuary after the service to anyone with a name tag and a nice smiling face. Uh, they would love to, to receive that. We'd love to connect with you and see how we can serve you uh, as a church. We're continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke and Acts this morning. And I invite you, if you have a Bible, to please uh, take your Bible out. Uh, Kevin, if we can get the PowerPoint switched, that would be great. And uh, we are finding ourselves today in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. And uh, if you're new to the Bible or you don't have a Bible, you can use a pew Bible and find our passage on page 835. I ask us to give ear as we now hear the words of the Lord. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is the word of the Lord for us. Let's pray. Living God, we thank you for this text that we've read that was inspired by your Holy Spirit. And we pray now that as we enter this text that you would illumine our hearts and our minds by your Holy Spirit and that we would enter into the realities of, of which it speaks as never before. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. What's your social nightmare? What's your, the, the dream that you have socially that would be just the, the most embarrassing or the worst thing to happen to you? When I was a kid, we loved gathering around the dinner table when we would visit my grandparents, and we would spend a good hour after dinner listening to stories. And my grandmother once shared a story of when she worked at Laval University in Quebec. She was a secretary. And one morning, it was, it was a chilly fall morning, she was at her desk and her colleague came into the office. And in those days, you wore, you know, those long coats that kind of go to your ankles. And, and so uh, her colleague comes in, goes to the coat rack, takes off her coat, puts her coat there, and like goes to go to her office. My grandma sees her and says, hey, come here. And she comes over to my grandma's desk and she says, you're not wearing your skirt. This woman had forgotten her skirt. And the glory of those long coats is you could get to work and not even notice. 
But what's your social nightmare? <laughs> Maybe your nightmare is something a bit deeper. <laughs> Maybe there's something about you or your life and the thought of that thing being exposed publicly just absolutely terrifies you. Now picture the leper. The leper woke up each and every day to a living nightmare. The thing that brought him the most shame, the, the thing that, that made him despised in the eyes of others was the most obvious thing about him. And it was the first people that thing that people would see when they saw him. So very simply this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the leper and his experience. And then we're going to shift and we're going to take a look at Jesus and see how Jesus responds to this man. So in his day, uh, the leper was the most shunned and despised person in his culture. And to get a sense of what this man lived through, we actually need to look at our favorite book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. And uh, we really need to get into what Leviticus says about leprosy to get some background for this story. And so before we, we go to Leviticus, and I'll have some slides that lead us through that, I just want you to know, know that the central theme of Leviticus, it's a book way back in the Old Testament, the central theme of Leviticus is the holiness of the God of Israel that out of his love and grace, this holy God uh, reaches out and makes a covenant. He chooses a family, the family of Abraham, and he makes a covenant with them. Uh, and he, he binds himself to really messed up, really broken and sinful people. And so the central problem that gets worked out in the book of Leviticus is how is a holy God going to live in relationship with unholy people. How's that relationship going to work? So, so on one side, right, you have, you have God. And when we say that God is holy, what we mean by that is he's unique. He's set apart. He's distinct. And, and on God's side, you know, you've got love. You've got goodness, purity, eternity, life, and more things. Those are all part of his holiness, part of his radiance. And then on the other side of the relationship, you've got unholy people, right? We're tainted by sin and corruption, mortality and death. So how, how is that relationship going to work? And what happens in Leviticus is the system, uh, it outlines the system of how this relationship is going to work. And by the way, we might think from this kind of diagram or when we think about God's holiness that God was like a germaphobe and he needed protection from like the nastiness of humanity. That's not at all what's going on. The protection is for us because God's presence is good, but it's also dangerous. We learn that in the Old Testament. When, when people go into God's presence, without reckoning on his holiness, and, and they go into it uh, carelessly. Bad things happen. So God's presence is good, but it's dangerous for sinful and corruptible human beings to, to get too close, right? Like, think about the sun. The, the sun is really good, right? Without the sun, there, there's no life. But you can't get too close. <laughs> I used to play a game when I was a kid 
and we would have a competition, right, between friends. Who can stare into the sun the longest? Brilliant, right? Like, like smart thing to do. What happens to your eyes when you stare into the sun for like seven seconds? It, it burns. At 150 million kilometers away, the sun's radiance is so powerful that even just looking at it for 10 seconds burns your eyes. That's what the presence of God is like. He's so holy, and his, his radiance, his goodness, his purity are, are so strong that we can't just waltz in to his presence. And so what we get just before the book of Leviticus uh, in the book of Exodus, check this out, Exodus 40, verses 34 to 35. It says, uh, the, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and, and that's the tent that God had given Israel where he said he would dwell among them. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so, a couple verses later, Leviticus 1 begins, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Where's Moses standing right now? He, is he in the tent or is he out the tent? He's, at, he's outside, right. God is speaking to him from within the tent. And what we get in Leviticus is this long conversation where the Lord lays out the whole deal. This is how it's going to work. Here, here's the system. Here is you know, the priesthood and the sacrifices and laws about ritual purity and moral purity, feasts to celebrate, all of that. And in observing that system, that's how the relationship would work check it out. And the book of Numbers begins like this. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, where? In the tent of meeting. Isn't that cool? Leviticus worked. Leviticus worked for that time in that place and for that people. And the basic rule of this whole ritual system for like the common person was this. The basic rule is that you could participate in the life of God's people and the worshiping life of Israel if you were ritually clean. That was the key. You had to be ritually clean. And what that meant was that you hadn't come into contact with anything associated with, with death or, or uncleanness. So if you had touched a dead body, for example, uh, you'd have to wait seven days for your purification and then you'd be ritually clean, that kind of thing. Why are we delving into Leviticus like this. It's because leprosy was a disease that made a person ritually unclean. In Leviticus 13 and 14, if you want some really interesting reading this, e this evening, uh, go there and read it. It's basically an ancient dermatology manual. And it goes through all of these criteria for diagnosing different skin conditions and disease and what to do about them. Listen to how the leper had to live. It says, anyone with such a defiling disease, that, it, that is leprosy, must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of their face and cry out, Tame, Tame, unclean, unclean. So basically, the leper had to make their physical condition represented in their clothes. And when they would approach people, they had to make it as obvious as possible 
to let people know, stay away from me, okay? It continues in verse 46. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp or the town or the city. It's a completely disgraced existence. It's a completely isolated existence. Dr. Andrew McDonald was a, a, a medical doctor who worked with lepers in Nigeria in the 1950s. And listen to how he kind of summarizes and describes the disease. He says this, The leper is sick in mind as well as body. For some reason, there's an attitude to leprosy different from the attitude to any other disfiguring disease. It's associated with shame and horror and carries in some mysterious way a sense of guilt, even though it's innocently acquired. Shunned and despised, frequently do lepers consider taking their lives, and some do. And get this, he says that the leper was hated by others until he came to hate himself. That's this man's life. That, that's who's coming to Jesus in this story. And when he comes, he's bringing all of that with him. All of that experience. And he hears about Jesus. And, and it's incredible to think of this man and what he had gone through that he would even think of coming to Jesus. That he hadn't been so hardened by the hatred and and stuff that had come his way his whole life. And he still comes to Jesus. So this man, he's unclean. It's a life of humiliation, isolation, and hatred. But he comes to Jesus and notice what he says. He says, if you are willing. He's speaking to Jesus and he says, if you are willing. He recognizes Jesus' authority. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Somehow, he sees that Jesus has the authority and power to do this. He, he doesn't say, if you are willing, you can ask God to make me clean. He says, you. It's amazing how he sees that. And notice the nature of his request and the word clean there. He, he doesn't come and ask, if you are willing, you can heal me. He says, you can make me clean. And clean uh, comes up in the text three times. It's an important word. And because we've taken a quick look at Leviticus, when we see him asking to be made clean, we know he's not asking for a soap and shower. Right? He's not, he's not asking to be made hygienically clean. He is asking to be made clean in the sense of Leviticus. Yes, he's asking for healing, but even more, he's asking for the restoration of his relationships with God and with others. Isn't that profound? More than anything, leprosy was this social disease, and he wants the nightmare to end, and so he comes to Jesus. And I want us to imagine, if you look in verse 12, the leper has, has just come to Jesus, fallen on his face, and, and made his request. I want you ima to imagine a pause there, socially. 
that, that in the moment the leper does this, what are the people around Jesus and in the crowd thinking? They're probably stunned that this man had even come into their midst. And they're wondering, what is Jesus going to do? What, what is Jesus going to do about this man? Look at verse 13. This is what Jesus does. It says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. The first thing Jesus does is, is he touches the leper. And, and notice that sentence that he didn't just, Luke doesn't say, oh, and Jesus touched him. Luke adds these details. He, he, he reached out his hand and he touched the man. You know when you're watching a movie and uh, the director uses a slow motion thing, right? Where like uh, a one second takes about 45 seconds to watch in the movie. That's what Luke is doing here. He's doing a zoom in and a slow motion for us so that we can see the significance and the touch. Wonder of all wonders, d despite what's going on in everyone's mind, how they think Jesus should address this guy, Jesus moves towards him and he touches him. He reaches the man in a way, right, that would have stirred him so deeply. Imagine a life where you hadn't had human contact in years, maybe decades. You know how that shapes you psychologically? A and Jesus touches him. And in that touch, there's this communication of his willingness to him, right? Dale Bruner comments that the gospel is in that grasp. And as always, Jesus' words and deeds are in harmony. First he touches the leper, then he speaks the cleansing word, I am willing, be clean. And immediately, we see that this word is powerful and effective. The leprosy leaves him immediately. I want us to camp out here a bit on these first two points. And I want us to think about our own lives. Because there are things maybe in your life that you think make you too dirty for Jesus to accept you. Right? Maybe there are things that you've done maybe moral compromise that you've done, or maybe a pattern of sin in your life uh, that's sending your relationships uh, down the way of, of corruption and disintegration. Maybe it was something that was done to you, right? Some form of abuse or neglect, and, and by no fault of your own, you're carrying a shame that you didn't bring on yourself, but that you've had to live with. And, and you feel dirty because of it. Whatever the nature of your uncleanness, whatever it is that you're standing in, consider this. That, that when you come to Jesus and you bring to him your brokenness, he doesn't move away from you in disgust. He moves towards you. He moves towards you in mercy and in compassion, and he reaches out his hand and he touches you. See Jesus doing that for you this morning. 
And notice the sequence of how he touches. Does he touch the man once he is clean? Or does he touch the man in the midst of his uncleanness? He touches the man while he's still unclean. Isn't that incredible? And I feel like so often in our lives, we feel like the way it works between God and us, we sometimes can feel that Jesus is only going to reach out and touch and accept us once we've, you know, cleaned up our act. Once we've gotten ourselves to, to some place of cleanness, and so we exert all kinds of energy, right? All kinds of effort trying to get us ourselves to the point where we feel clean enough that nah, now Jesus is going to accept me. I just want to say to you this morning, that's not the gospel. That's not the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that he reaches out and touches us while we're still unclean. It's confirming what Paul says in Romans 5, 8. Paul says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good news? Now even just think about if if you've been a Christian and you've been following Jesus for a while, think about how we can fall into this kind of thinking in in our walk with Jesus, right? So, So a week goes by or a month goes by and you realize, wow, I've really been neglecting my relationship with God. I, I haven't been engaging in the disciplines that, that support and nurture my relationship with Jesus. And we start to subtly think that we've somehow fallen out of God's good graces. Right? And we think that there's, there's some, I've got to do this amount of pious activity before I, you know, I'll feel clean. Before I'll feel that God, God loves me. And let me just tell you that our spiritual disciplines and practices are really important but when we neglect them that doesn't change God's love for us what it does is it it actually affects our ability to receive and to know his love but it doesn't change his love for us you know when we're in that season what happens is we get distracted Uh, The affections of our hearts get drawn off after the wrong thing. Our minds lose perspective. We lose the conviction and the living reality that Christ is our center and indeed more our very life. And at that point, it's so easy to, to, to do this slip and interpret what's going on as, oh God, God doesn't love me. At least he doesn't love me as much as he did when I was doing all these things. Anyone felt that? (laughs) The fact is, God doesn't love you less. It's just that you've you've tuned out to hearing the voice of love. Right? We've tuned out. And you might be in that place this morning. You might be in the midst of of that wilderness. I just want to say to you, remember the gospel. Hear the good news for yourself that Jesus takes hold of us in the midst of our corruption and our sin. And there's nothing, there's nothing that we can do to make anything up with God. There's absolutely nothing. Jesus has done it. Jesus is sufficient. 
believe that, hear that gospel, and let that good news, the good news of his his love and, and grace for us, let that impel you into nurturing your relationship with him. Let that give you a taste and form in you a hunger to spend time with this God who has lavished such grace on you. Do that. Thirdly, coming back to the story, we see Jesus identifying with the leper. In moving towards the leper and in touching him, Jesus does the exact opposite of what everyone was expecting him to do. And they would be horrified, not only at the leper's presence there, but that Jesus reaches out to him with mercy and compassion. And when Jesus does that, what happens to Jesus? He comes down. Right? We just sang it. The Lord Most High bowed down low. He identifies with this man. He stands with this man and all of the, the, the disgust that is coming on the man now comes on Jesus too. Right? Jesus identifies. That's how Jesus cleans us up. That's how Jesus rescues us, right? Like sin are, is real. It doesn't just magically disappear. And what Jesus does is he stands with us in the very midst of our uncleanness and, and he takes it on himself. He identifies with us and takes what is ours onto himself. And he does his work. He rescues us. He cleans us up. Jesus identifies with you. He stands with you. Fourth, notice that Jesus cleanses the leper, both physically and and socially. So what everyone would have been thinking is that, oh, in, in reaching out and touching this leper, Jesus is now unclean, right? That's how it worked. When you touched an unclean thing, you became unclean. But what happens in the story? Jesus touches the leper, and Jesus' cleanness cleanses the leper. It's totally backwards. That's the power of Jesus, that there's nothing we can bring to him that's going to tarnish him. There's nothing we can bring to him that's too dirty or shameful. His power is such that he cleanses when he touches us. And notice, too, that Jesus wants the man restored socially. Look at verse 14. He tells the man, wait, no. Jesus orders the man to go and show himself to the priests and to comply with the law, right? To go and offer the sacrifices required to give a testimony to them of what Jesus had done for him. And what would happen in that day is, is the man, when he would do this, at the end of the purification process, he would get a certificate. He would get an official certificate that he could carry on himself because let's face it, like people would be wondering, right? Like, didn't you have leprosy? Aren't you unclean? And he would go and he would be able to show people, yes, against all odds, the impossible has happened. I've been cleansed. And that was to welcome him back into his family, welcome him back into the the place of worship, welcoming him back into the marketplace. And so what we see here is that Jesus doesn't just connect himself to the man by touching him, 
but Jesus connects the man to the community. You see that? He connects the man to the community. Full restoration for this meant restoration from his social disease. And Jesus does that with us too. To be connected with Jesus is to be connected with his community, the church. And you might be here this morning and and maybe you're not connected. Just, Just know that Jesus wants you to be connected. He wants you to have the support and the fellowship and the place of belonging, the place of learning, because following Jesus isn't easy, and we need each other. We need others. Lastly, I want us to notice that Jesus fulfills the law. Remember that the whole point of Leviticus and the tabernacle, that the question was, how does this holy God live with unholy people? And so the, it's a question of how do we live in the presence of God? And, and Luke is showing us that something new is happening in Jesus. And, and it's not a newness that is doing away with the law. It's a newness that is fulfilling it and fulfilling its original intention and purpose. That where once it was, you know, uh, the tabernacle and this sacrificial system, that's how we relate to God Luke is starting to show us that now it's Jesus. Jesus is this new meeting place where God and humanity can come together. And that through Jesus, we can live in the presence of God. He's fulfilling the whole purpose of the law. And and Jesus goes even further because he's not just about making us ritually clean. He's about making us actually clean, right? actually making us righteous, to justify us, to declare us righteous before the presence of the Father and invite us into a life of sanctification where that righteousness grows in us gradually as the work of his spirit is to form his very life in us. That's what Jesus is doing. He's fulfilling the law, inviting us to be people who can live and stand in the presence of a holy and good God. Just want to pull apart one more way that this passage relates to us. And it's simply this. As we've seen uh, the leper come to Jesus and Jesus responding with such grace and mercy to the leper, I think that the leper stands before us as an example of faith. I think that the leper presents to us an example of faith that participates in in Jesus' kingdom. Think for a second on on what makes up this leper's faith. And and there's just two things that I think come to mind. It's, It's a boldness and a humility, okay? So think about the boldness the, the audacity of this leper. Think of all the stuff that he had to push through, the stigma of cultural expectations, to push through his, his own mind and how he had been shaped by his disease, to push through his self-hatred, and to push through the lie that, that Jesus is going to reject me. In the same way, we can use this leper as a model for how we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus boldly because there's stuff that we need to push through. Maybe it's our own unbelief. 
Maybe it's our own experience or view of God. There's stuff, maybe it's in your family, right? Maybe you're the only Christian in your family and you've got to push through that. But most of all, where we see the boldness of the leper is that he comes to Jesus fully convinced that Jesus can. He is absolutely sure that Jesus can. You can see it in the wording. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Are we convinced that Jesus can? Are we convinced? The leper comes boldly, but the leper also demonstrates a faith that comes humbly, right? The leper comes to Jesus, and and it's so obvious in the passage, he falls on his face and, and he begs. And most strikingly, not only does he call Jesus Lord, but he also respects the sovereign will of this Lord. He says, if you are willing, somehow the leper knows that that this Jesus is Lord and and that how it works with someone who's Lord is that you don't tell them what to do, (laughs) right? We don't come before God asking for his health as if it were our right or asking as if we presume to know his specific will in all circumstances. Yes, we know that ultimately God's will is to heal everything, that in the kingdom that is yet to come, there will be no evil, no corruption, no sin, no sickness, no death. Hallelujah, amen. But as, as you and I live in between the times, the time where his kingdom is is. Uh, inaugurated where it begins in his life and death and resurrection and the time where he returns to bring that amazing all-encompassing healing to reality in between the times we don't know the hows or the whens of how his healing purposes get worked out faith that participates in Jesus's kingdom is reverent and it respects the will of Jesus. So one of my favorite preachers, his name's Daryl Johnson, he's a Baptist out in Vancouver, and he puts it this way, that we come boldly before the throne of grace, amen? We come boldly before the throne of grace, but it's still a throne. It's still a throne. Faith that participates in Jesus' kingdom is both bold and humble. On the one hand, we resist the temptation to to kind of be passive and resigned, right? Oh, this is how it is. This is how it's always going to be. God doesn't really care. No, that is so not true. God wants us to be bold. He wants us to come to him and ask for the impossible. That's what this leper does. He asks for the impossible. And on the other hand, we resist the irreverence of those who think that real faith means forcefully telling Jesus what he's going to do. And the more forcefully I tell him, the more likely it's going to happen. Right? No. We come honoring his will. We come honoring him as Lord. So what we see in this story is Jesus just with radical and even scandalous grace and mercy reaching out to this man 
He identifies with him and he makes him clean. And this is all really just this, this picture of what Jesus has done for all of us, right? In his death on the cross. The cross is where Jesus bore in himself the full implications of his identification with us, right? The cross is where Jesus stood in our place, taking the humiliation, the isolation, the hatred, and the death that we deserved onto himself. The cross is where God opened up a way for us to become new humans who can stand in his presence in the holiness and righteousness of Jesus and and through him to to live in relationship with the living God. So I want to ask you, have we heard good news this morning? May this good news renew us and transform us to live in Christ and for Christ. Amen? Amen.